Let's play a game. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. The only requirement is that you answer it honestly and truthfully. You don't have to answer it out loud. It can be our little secret. It's just me and you. Ready? Here's the question. How many weeks of vacation do you need to take right now if you wanted to be fully rested and there were no repercussions from work regardless of how much time you took off? And I'm not talking about sort of rested or sort of able to come back to work. We're talking fully rested, locked and loaded, four double espressos and a Mountain Dew game fuel pumped up and ready to go. For parents of toddlers and young children, this also assumes that your kids went to an extended summer camp daycare and you were free to do whatever you wanted. So what's the answer? One week? Four weeks? A full year? There's a lot of reasons why we all need a vacation right now more than ever. And that's because COVID-19 has changed how we work. And that also introduced a new term that we will all become very familiar with, Zoom fatigue. John O'Din is the author of a book called Distributed Teams, The Art and Practice of Working Together While Physically Apart. The book has three parts. The first part is tactical advice on how to run a remote team. The second part is about the human element, such as maintaining trust. And the third part is about the larger environmental and socioeconomic impacts of remote work. He had this to say about Zoom fatigue. So you can't just go and and meet some friends for a coffee in a coffee shop or, or hang out in a bar and have a beer or anything like that. But a couple of things. One is in terms of time on video calls, like a common complaint is around Zoom fatigue. That's not a negative diss on Zoom, the product, um, but it's just the term has caught on. If you're on eight hours of video calls a day, that's totally draining. The last thing you want to do is get on a video call with anybody else and socially chit chat with somebody. For those lucky enough to work remotely during the pandemic, I'm sure you have experienced seven consecutive video meetings followed by a virtual happy hour with friends and then spend an hour with Mima and Pop Pop as they try to figure out how not to talk over each other on FaceTime. The pure exhaustion of Zoom fatigue is all too familiar an idea now. And that's only part of this week's topic. In broader terms, the question we're asking... How is social distancing affecting our mental health? My name is Scott Herms. This is Working Better, a podcast about problems worth solving and the technology required to solve them. We'll talk about your brain. We'll talk about your brain on Zoom and what science can tell us about the very real downsides of staring at a thumbnail of your own face. We'll talk about how therapists and business leaders have approached this challenge of connecting with people, of substituting genuine human interaction, practicing empathy, vulnerability, and trust as best we can, given the circumstances with the tools at our disposal. And in addition to dissecting the role of technology in these problems, we'll talk about how tech can help us form creative solutions, including mental wellness apps, blockchain-based employee recognition systems, and how to rethink our relationship with the tech we're growing all too familiar with. When the founder of Zoom, Eric S. Yuan, was in the early stages of creating and growing Zoom, he actually refused to do in-person meetings. He did it all via Zoom. His thinking was, why would I leave my office or or leave the country to do an hour meeting when I can do the same meeting over a Zoom? Some people call that dogfooding your own product, but I don't think even he had any idea how Zoom was actually going to be used during the pandemic. We turned to video conferencing apps like Zoom, Skype, and FaceTime to make us all feel like we still had social lives. Virtual game nights, trivia nights, happy hours, boozy brunches, AA meetings. Friends or family who we hadn't talked to in months now being added to that night's lineup of virtual conversations. We were panic buying social interaction like it was toilet paper. Dr. Alice Boyce, 
former clinical psychologist and author of The Healthy Mind Toolkit, has this to say about the diversity of experiences during the pandemic. And I think that's one of the stories of this is that some people have come out ahead. You know, some people have been really, really crunched in it. And for some people, it hasn't made a lot of difference. And that diversity of experiences can make empathy kind of hard because if you're doing fine, you don't necessarily easily understand why other people are not. As people started talking to their families, their friends, co-workers about this, common themes would show up. It's a different type of exhaustion than just being in the office all day. This meeting is being recorded. Oh yeah, we're recording this meeting. So what does science say? At the heart of it, something psychologists call continuous partial attention. Humans are social creatures and communicators at heart. Research shows just how much we communicate non-verbally. You know, body language, facial expressions, little tiny things that we're able to see and decode consciously or unconsciously. Put everyone into tiny little postage stamps on your screen, and those cues are mostly gone. But your brain is still trying to seek out that same information, so it goes into gathering mode. Your brain quickly becomes overstimulated, trying to pay attention to so many different things that it doesn't really focus on any one thing particularly well. Then there's this very strange experience of having your own face constantly visible. Experts say you tend to overperform because you're able to constantly monitor your expressions, how emotive you're being, your posture. Why well, you knew the lighting was better in the living room, but now you would look vain if you switched. And dear God, my beard really is a thing of startling beauty. Imagine a meeting or a dinner with friends and someone placed a mirror directly in front of you. The level of self-consciousness is real. And like, especially with Zoom, like you do a lot of monitoring of yourself because, you know, you don't want to be... And we know that from like studies of social anxiety, that people with social anxiety do a lot of internal monitoring, right? They're monitoring, well, am I sweating or am I smiling nicely enough or am I just doing something odd? All of this leads to one thing, which many of us are experiencing right now, exhaustion. Not the same, I've worked too much this week, exhaustion either. It's the, I'm not getting enough done or having the right social interactions to actually enjoy my week and feel like I'm making progress. So what can we do about this different type of exhaustion we're facing? What happens when you're more than just tired? What happens when you're beyond exhausted to the point you literally can't get on another Zoom meeting without zoning out completely? John Odin. You had a particular way of interacting with people in meetings. You had exercise by walking around a building or walking out for lunch. Now you stay at home and you hop from one video call to another to another, and you're still in the same chair. You haven't moved all day. That's actually unhealthy, like clinically unhealthy. You're like, I don't want to go near another video call. The impact is not just on our mental health either. According to a recent New York Times article, dentists are getting increasingly more appointments from patients who have cracked their teeth from grinding them together. They are calling it an epidemic of broken teeth. Here's how the New York Times explains this phenomenon. Quote, from COVID-induced nightmares, to doom surfing, to coronaphobia, it's no secret that pandemic-related anxiety is affecting our collective mental health. That stress, in turn, leads to clenching and grinding, which can damage the teeth. End quote. Since work is causing our stress, what can our employers do to help fix it? Peter Jackson, successful entrepreneur and CEO of Bluescape, has this to say. Yeah, I mean... Uh you know, you have to step back and sort of look at it from the standpoint of, look, you're responsible for not just these people, but their spouses, their children, you know, their lifestyle. If you've got an employee, let's say in New York, you know, chances are they might be in a 400 square foot studio 
being told that this to stay in place. But I think breaking it down into the pie chart of, you know, where people are, who has kids, what, and asking the question of each one of them individually uh, and holding town halls, trying to make it so that it isn't a one-to-many call, trying to make it a many-to-many call, creating an environment like we do with Bluescape where there actually is an environment where people can post up how they're doing. You don't have to wait for your employer to help you. Virtual therapy is growing in popularity. There are many platforms out there, such as Talkspace and BetterHelp, where you can get a virtual therapist. Virtual therapy is growing for a few reasons. The first reason is the perception that therapy is a good thing for normal people to do is helping the industry grow. You don't have to hide that you have a therapist anymore. Social acceptance of therapy is a big deal. The other reason is that it's never been easier to see a therapist because of the new tools and platforms that exist now, because of the acceleration of digital tools during the pandemic. You no longer have to take time off to leave your office and see a therapist. You can do it at home. And that ease of being able to talk to a therapist for an hour and then literally go back to work minutes later is something that is incredible. You can even text your therapist now. Surprisingly, some studies have shown that online therapy is even more effective than in-person therapy. A July 2020 study from McMaster University in Toronto conducted 17 randomized control trials comparing therapist-supported cognitive behavioral therapy delivered electronically to face-to-face cognitive behavioral therapy. Online therapy, quote, improved patient symptoms better than face-to-face when measured using standardized mood symptom scales. As well, there was no difference in the level of satisfaction or function between the two methods of delivery, end quote. There are other ways tech can help besides virtual therapy, such as employee recognition. Employee recognition is one of those things that everyone talks about doing and is universally recognized as a great thing doing at a company. I don't know about you. When I get recognized for my work, I get a jolt of energy. It makes me motivated to do more. And if I happen to get recognized on a Friday, my whole weekend is instantly better. Unless, of course, I'm recognized as being the guy who accidentally replied all to the company-wide email. Thanks, Gordon. I get a very similar jolt of energy when I recognize someone for their work. It's just a great thing to do for everyone involved, and it's one tool to improve our mental well-being. But what happens to our attitudes about work when we're not getting that real, direct human interaction? With all of us being virtual, it can really impact our perceptions of work being done. You know, stopping by someone's desk to say hi, overhearing phone calls, or reading someone else's emails because they stepped away from their desk and didn't lock their computer. Not that I've actually done that. I, I usually just change their password, put up a My Pretty Pony screensaver, and then lock their computer. Anyway, that's all basically gone. This reminded me of an employee recognition platform that was created by Omar Shanti at Kinancarta to help solve this kind of problem. A blockchain-based peer-to-peer loyalty and rewards platform. Effectively, it's a blockchain-based digital high-five system. Um, So drew up a proposal, sent it across the company, team of people hopped on, and within eight months, we had it out the door. So it was released in around April 2019, and within a year, it had over 25,000 transactions. Now, considering that each of these 25,000 transactions involves two parties exchanging in a relationship building sign of appreciation of one another. Um, You can imagine the effect that this had on the connections within the company, um, the meaningful connections. So what I'm really most interested in is the ways that Kincoin can kind of recreate the office environment where you have that nice water cooler noise, those multiple conversations going on at the same time reflected on the newsfeed rather than 
in the halls of the cafeteria, for example. KimCoin provides that little bit of noise, that little bit of random chance that you need when all of your conversations are deliberate and on a schedule. It gives you that office feel when you're all remote, and it's doing it makes us all feel connected once again. Can technology also create the randomness of relationship building that we experience when we're in the office? The random encounters in the lunchroom with our coworkers, the passive-aggressive, well, I guess I'll make coffee again, as everyone stares at the empty coffee urns. Getting in the elevator and pretending to be on a conference call because you can't remember that guy's name even though you just worked on a project with them for eight months. The impromptu social conversations that often lead to new relationships, friendships, and new ideas. How do you recreate those spontaneous interactions that make your office your office? We asked Chris Weiland, director of Ken and Carta America's Labs, what he thought. I think some of it's also that physical act, right? So if I'm sitting in my study with my screens up on Slack, you know, working, I could run out to the kitchen and get a cup of coffee or make it or whatever. But now I'm just going to keep sitting here and keep going, right? Because I'm here, I'm connected, I'm on a Zoom, I'm chatting with my team, you know, we're all working. Whereas at the office, if you get up from your desk and walk to the washroom or walk to the cafe, you're not working, you're not typing, you're not at your desk, you're not connected, you're physically in a space moving to another space encountering other people. And so you, you can't keep working because you are physically removed from your, you know, your kind of your work interface. And so that, you know, you, it, it kind of spurs the opportunity for a conversation or a random chance encounter. It's changed our environment so subtly that it doesn't feel like much has changed because we're all used to working behind our computers and phones, but the decisions and actions we take are all impacted. I would love to see our labs team tackle this problem. We interrupt this podcast to bring you this exciting news. Our labs team will be taking on this problem. They're going to put together a scrappy team of researchers, designers, Instagram influencers, and developers to see how we can recreate the random connection experience while working remotely. Over the next eight weeks, we'll track their progress and turn it into the final podcast of the season. This is podcast history in the making. We now return you to our regularly scheduled podcast already in progress. Even things like not being able to see our coworkers' body language has made a change to how we interact with our coworkers. Peter Jackson has this to say about body language in a remote world. But you know, keep in mind, you know, any any organization is made up of uh, a whole subset of really productive people that have been, uh, for whatever reason, never listened to. Um, you know, they, it may be a gender-related issue. It could be a language barrier. It could be an introvert versus an extrovert. But a typical traditional meeting happens with somebody talking all the time and, you know, a bunch of people having to listen. Um, And so the environment suddenly went from being able to somewhat how express yourself, either through body language or someone in the lunchroom or with people you trusted, to really being in an environment where you're by yourself and you don't really have a way to express yourself. Some six plus months into the pandemic, social distance has started to feel like business as usual. Millions of happy birthday renditions sung over video conferencing, board games were hastily adapted to virtual settings, and 11-year-olds figured out how to create Zoom background videos that make it look like they are paying attention in class. We're all learning the new way to work at the same time. Here's something you can try. Try stepping away from the computer for your next meeting. Dial into Zoom from your phone as you walk around the neighborhood. You get some exercise and relief from having to stare at your coworkers. And if you totally want to crush your next Zoom meeting, run a personal best time on a 5K while leading the meeting. It's also important that you continue to make human connections, real human connections that involve your coworkers, but have nothing to do with work. Here's a tip from John O'Din. It's important to intentionally have time 
to socially chit-chat with others. So every day, intentionally make 10, 15 minutes and just have an impromptu coffee with somebody. It's not a lot of time. You don't have an agenda. If it doesn't happen today, fine, you have a coffee with somebody else and then maybe you come back and loop back and have a coffee with Scott tomorrow. If it was maybe today's a bad time for you, whatever. Finally, some advice from psychologists Rachel and Stephen Kaplan. They have shown that mental fatigue can be treated via attention restoration therapy. I recommend you look it up after this podcast, but I will oversimplify it for you now. You can undo the fatigue of directed attention, aka Zoom fatigue, by spending time in an environment that has the following qualities. Being away, a place where you are not being forced to pay attention to tiny images of humans. Soft fascination, which is not an unhealthy attraction to body pillows, but rather a place that is of interest to you, but allows you to be in it and be reflective. Extent, a place that is somewhat familiar. Compatibility, a place you choose to be in. The Kaplans have looked at the restorative power of spending time in nature, which definitely matches all of these criteria. There was a study done in 1991 by another group of researchers who compared how three different groups of people performed on tasks that required a lot of attention. One group did not get to go on vacation, the control group. One group went on vacation in an urban area, and the third group went to a wilderness area. All groups were tested before and after. The control group's performance declined. Not surprising. No vacation, no relief. The urban vacation group's performance also declined. Please do not tell the New York City Board of Tourism about this. The wilderness vacation group's performance was the only one that improved. Amazingly enough, just taking time to look at pictures of nature can help restore your attention. So, it turns out that the correct answer to my question at the beginning of the podcast about how long of a vacation you need to be fully rested is nature. Even more restorative than a walk in the park, it's time for Cooler Terms with Pooler and Herms. Hey, Pooler. Hey, Herms. What you think about today's episode? Everything is socially distant right now, and it totally blows. Historically speaking, I haven't been great at long-distance relationships. Uh, you can just ask my ex-boyfriend, Tom. Tim. Jim? Bill? I, it doesn't matter. You know, I really don't hate this term as much as I just dislike how we use it all the time to justify being in the same place as another person. Or like when we use it as a stamp of approval for being irresponsible. Using hashtag social distancing doesn't make it true. Especially when it's directly under a photo of you crowd surfing at your cousin's bar mitzvah. I liked social distancing better when it was called respecting each other's personal space, and we didn't have to announce it every time we did it. Great. So instead of social distancing, we just use personal space. Anything else? Glad you asked. Not everyone is using Zoom right now, so I came up with some more inclusive terms that may be beneficial. Perhaps the meat weeps, or the team screams, the Skype yikes, or the Cisco knows, or the brand agnostic option, the mute shoots. Oh shoot, Gary's on mute again. Who serves it to call him? It's almost like, can you see my screen now, is the new, can you hear me now? Well, you know, Katie, we're all relatively new to this technology. Exactly. I like to think we're in the puberty phase of video conferencing. So to help us navigate our current telehell, I decided to write a book. And it's called, Can You See My Screen God? It's Me, Katie. I can't wait to read it. You know, the term that gets me is mental health day. You know, shouldn't every day be a mental health day? I mean, what's the opposite of a day where we focus on our mental health? Tuesday. Work? Thanks, Pooler. See you next week. Yeah, about that. Uh, I'm going to be taking a mental health day. Everything's fine right now. I just 
I have a feeling it's going to get worse, though. Cooler! Anyway, thank you for listening. As always, we want your feedback. Please reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or just yell out your window at 2 a.m. That's what I do when I want to be heard. See you next week.